Did you know that relaxation is all in your mind? That's right. By applying various techniques of mindfulness, you can practice relaxation anywhere and anytime, whether it's at home, work, or at play. Welcome to Come Back to Your Senses Radio with host Leah Brenda Smith. Our program is all about recovering your common sense. Now, here's health and wellness specialist Leah Brenda Smith. Hello, I am Leah Brenda Smith, and I welcome you to Come Back to Your Senses Radio. Today on the show, we're going to talk about the Dalai Lama. And His Holiness the Dalai Lama is the spiritual leader of the Tibetan people. His life is guided by three major commitments. The promotion of basic human values, the fostering of interreligious harmony, and the welfare of the Tibetan people. So let's delve a little bit into the three main commitments of the Dalai Lama. And on the level of the human being, his first commitment is to the promotion of human values, such as compassion, forgiveness, tolerance, contentment, and self-discipline. All human beings are the same. We all want happiness and do not want suffering. Even people who do not believe in religion recognize the importance of these human values in making their lives happier. The Dalai Lama refers to these human values as secular ethics. He remains committed to talk about the importance of these human values and shares them with everyone that he meets. On the level of a religious practitioner, his second commitment is to the promotion of religious harmony and understanding amongst the world's major religious traditions. Despite philosophical differences, all major world religions have the same potential to create good human beings. It is therefore important for all religious traditions to respect one another and recognize the value of each other's respective traditions. As far as one truth, one religion is concerned, this is relevant on an individual level. However, for the community at large, several truths, several religions are necessary. His Holiness is Tibetan and carries the name of the Dalai Lama. Tibetans place their trust in him. Therefore, his third commitment is to the Tibetan issue. He has the responsibility to act as the spokesperson for the Tibetans in their struggle for justice. As far as the third commitment is concerned, it will cease to exist once a mutually beneficial solution is reached between the Tibetans and the Chinese. However, the Dalai Lama maintains that he will continue with his commitments to the promotion of basic human values and the fostering of inter-religious harmony until his last breath. His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, received the Nobel 
Peace Prize in 1989. And here's a little excerpt from his acceptance speech. Your Majesty and members of the Nobel Committee, brothers and sisters, I am very happy to be here with you today to receive the Nobel Prize for Peace. I feel honored, humbled, and deeply moved that you should give this important prize to such a simple monk from Tibet. I am no one special, but I believe the prize is in recognition of the true value of altruism, love, compassion, and nonviolence, which I try to practice in accordance with the teachings of the Buddha and the great sages of India and Tibet. I accept the prize with profound gratitude on behalf of the oppressed everywhere, and for all those who struggle for freedom and work for world peace. I accept it as a tribute to the man who founded the modern tradition of non-violent action for change, Mahatma Gandhi, whose life taught and inspired me. And of course, I accept it on behalf of the six million Tibetan people, my brave countrymen and women inside Tibet, who have suffered and continue to suffer so much. They confront a calculated and systematic strategy aimed at the destruction of their national and cultural identity. The prize reaffirms our conviction that with truth, courage, and determination as our weapons, Tibet will be liberated. I had the privilege of attending a public talk that the Dalai Lama gave in April of 2012 at the Civic Center in the nation's capital, Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Before the Dalai Lama came on stage, Richard Gere, a longtime Buddhist activist, opened the event. He welcomed all of us in the spirit of oneness with words from the Japanese poet Kobayashi Issa. There is no stranger under the cherry tree. His Holiness the Dalai Lama is very down-to-earth, matter-of-fact individual with a great sense of joy, humor, and purpose for humanity, to live a life of compassion and cooperation. We did not start the event with meditation, just brief moments of silence as he swept onto the stage and in a common posture of hands folded in prayer, he graciously bowed and beamed in all directions to the beings that were present. The Dalai Lama started his talk by assuring his gathered guests that his main interest was one of being here with family and having a chat. He said, I want to share the problems which we have in our mind and some difficulties on a mental level. Here are the excerpts from the discourse that followed. He began by saying, from childhood, 
I have developed different views. I also passed through difficulty. I am now nearly 77 years old, and from my own experience, I want to share. And maybe, maybe you will find some things that are very useful. Seven billion human beings, mentally, emotionally, physically, we are all the same. We all have negative and positive emotions. The positive emotions bring joyfulness. The ones that bring more worry and anxiety, anger and fear are not logical. And since we don't want those, we call them negative. Everyone has the ability to face negative or disturbing emotions, and we have the ability to overcome the negative emotions that we don't want. In this century, my generation century, we find and developed many useful things, even technological achievement, and sometimes it brought more fear and more distraction. War is part of history, but because of technology, the pressure of distraction has increased Fear of the whole world was what made us grow up. The 20th century, according to history, has become a century of worry and destruction. 200 million people killed through violence. That immense violence brought a new shape to the world. Less worry, more peacefulness. But no, that's not the case. We have terrorism phenomena. There are traces of this mystery in the century, traces of negligence. However, in the early part of the century, we can examine and see very, very many positive things. Though we see suffering and destruction everywhere on every continent, when nation declares war, every citizen joins the military effort after the Korean War, people began to realize that war just brings more suffering and sorrow and suffering. People in the United States have said, we don't want war and suffering. The Cold War brought fear and also the realization that we cannot solve problems by war. It just brings more suffering. We must try to find ways to live peacefully. It's important to see that in the early part of the century, we are involved with ecology. Now, even more political parties also getting involved with ecology and the earth. If I join politics, I will join the Green Party. Human understanding of reality is becoming wider and deeper. People have a responsibility and the fear, the fear of war is unavoidable. Finally, resolution through violence is not what the people want. In the last part of the century, we recognize the need for spiritual development. In the past, people had the attitude or belief that science and spirituality have nothing in common. But now we are studying the human brain and human neurons, 
and quantum physics is opening the path, opening the way for science to understand more closely about the mind's understanding. Explanation about reality, not from objectivity, but from subjectivity is very important. Human attitude has shifted and there are many positive things that have happened. In the 21st century, despite some unhealthy events, we are a continuation in this century. I think that there's lots of reason to be optimistic. We need vision to look to the future. Use the wisdom of the past, but look to the future, which is open. Now we must utilize the present properly. Make plans with vision and determination. This century can be a century of peace. We urgently need to bridge the gap between the rich and the poor in Europe and North America. On the group level, on the national level, we have to consider seriously, we need more money to bridge the gap. The military spends a lot of money, but no one dare use the weapons. America spends billions of dollars for negative purpose, yet in the present, it is understandable. But in the future, this should change. Under present circumstances, we could, should consider our neighbor as part of us and no need to defend against them and have a defense department. In this century, I think that it is possible to demilitarize the world and decrease poverty. We have scientists who are working in the military industry, brilliant brains wasted for killing. In the future, we should look to use the fields of science and economy to focus on not damaging the environment. We should focus in on spending money to save the economy, eliminating poverty and encouraging peace. The younger generation. It's your turn now to build a healthy, happy, peaceful world that will eliminate, will ultimately help to transform society. We have so many problems from short-sightedness with no thought of the future just thoughts of the ego. Most destructive things happen because of a lack of sense of others, a lack of holistic view. Now we are left with too much self-centered attitude, which creates fear and suspicion and anxiety and frustration. And frustration goes to anger which then translates into violence. We need more research to understand the ideas of suspicion and violence in the mind. For the world at large, firstly, we need to help the poor and the crime and corruption. It is not new news. It affects our global welfare. So we need to think seriously about it. We have to develop the concept of oneness in humanity. I am one of the seven billion human beings 
and all seven billion are part of me. We are a nation that follows different faiths. The identity of individuals, all of this is based on the human level. But on the non-human level, we're all the same. Now we need to develop a concept of the big we. We need inner strength. If you live under war, you cannot develop that kind of concept. You react to protect. My interest is in taking care of the rest of the world. Now today's world, the economy and other areas, nation to nation, continent to continent. We are social animals. We forget that reality and we exploit one another, cheat one another. It is wrong and harmful to individuals' future. Now let's focus on money. Life's focus is now on money and power and gizmos. And only through trust the friendship comes. When there is distrust, fear, and jealousy, there is no friendship. When there is trust, then you will automatically respect the other's interest and respect their life and truly respect their views. Something happens within that is the spiritual development at the family level, the group level, the community level, the national level. And in order to develop and respect others, we need compassion and forgiveness. Not as a religious practice, as these are universal ideas. It doesn't matter if you are rich or poor. This is a human action, not a religious action. We need to cultivate a practice of compassion, not through prayer, but by using our common experience of our convictions our constructive emotions and make a distinction. Some emotions are very bad and destructive for friendship and family, and some emotions are very helpful. Once you realize that anger and hatred are very harmful, try to distance yourself from these emotions and the intensity of these emotions. Then positive, emotions come up and make change in your life and in the world. Good health and happiness is key. You can't stand in fear or anxiety or worry. That is very bad for your health. I use no medicine and never touch pills or alcohol. We do have universal ways. Everyone comes from their mother and everyone receives affection. And that experience I really observed is the planting of the seeds of compassion. And then as the child grows, you see how they use the human experience and grow the seeds of compassion. When we judge the pros and cons of situations, then we can further nurture the seeds of compassion. I was certainly struck by the Dalai Lama's matter-of-fact, common-sense approach 
to many of the issues that humanity struggles with. He's obviously a man of peace, compassion, and oneness. His message of seeing the world as a global community with the need to extend respect, kindness, compassion, and trust to everyone and everything within the community is clearly unwavering. After the Dalai Lama spoke to the group from the podium, he sat down in the easy chair and continued by answering questions that were previously written out and read by his translator. Why does it seem that most people that live in a third world country are happier than people in the West? Not necessarily. It depends on people's perspective. People in rural areas have more human contact. People that live in big cities, well, their daily life is very routine. They are used to less human contact. Lifestyle makes a big difference. In developed countries, people are always watching television and listening to music. Then we are not focused on the inner being. In a life of more solitude, people are thinking more about their inner life. Watch and see. How do you develop? How are you awakening the inner life? Watch the brain and watch how the emotions come. Watch the emotions. Anger comes, watch it. When you feel anger, then try to look for different angles and more distance, and your attitude can change. A few years ago, I met a man in Sweden. He was 84 years old. He told me when we develop the anger, the object disappears. Very negative. 90% of negativity is your own position. Look for a different angle. You may find something positive, which you sometimes use to fuel your anger. And we have attachment. Look for a different angle to your imperfection. And if you look from a different angle, it can change your balance. So without TV and music, you can focus more on your inner life. Almost one year ago, we were blessed with the arrival of my son. And on that day, I became a mother. And one of the most important roles of my life began. My wish to raise a happy, healthy, kind, and loving child to thrive and make a difference in the world. How can I apply secular ethics to parenting? Young children really need maximum affection and care. Bob Livingston mentioned that after birth, the next few weeks, physical touch is a very conscious factor for enlarging the brain. When parents provide maximum affection, the children reach a higher level of learning and receive more information 
about the value of human qualities. It's very important to show affection. Young human beings really need maximum affection. That is what plants the seed of compassion into human beings. In the world today, everyone is looking out for themselves. What is the number one thing to create a global community of compassion and kindness? Our modern education system is geared towards materialism and comfort, not focused on the inner development. Moral issues have been taken care of by the church. But now the education system must look after warm-heartedness. I was talking with scientists about education and about creating modern experimental projects of how to introduce effective training of mind and mindfulness and compassion, doing experiments in university. In the beginning, after a few weeks of training, stress and blood pressures were definitely reduced. We need to seriously research a modern teaching of warm-heartedness and study about the mind and emotion of mind and body and emotion. We need a healthy mind and we have to know the whole mental system. Before it was a religious matter. Now we must include that in the education system. Eventually, one school will do ex an experiment, and after positive results, the education can be included in more schools. Most people who attend these events already believe in the importance of ethics. What can we do to help others in the value of ethics? I look to future generations. Those who do not have an interest in one form of respect, we need to respect their wishes. Maybe after some problems, they may show some interest. We need to be compassionate. We need more compassion for them. Do you have a message for others in need in these uncertain economic times? One time in Japan, I told the media, your Japanese economy is rising, but there are no guarantees in the material field. There is always limitation. Better to expect that one day the limitation may come. I met some people that agree. If you base your lifestyle on growth, there is no limit because there is no limit to growth. You have to think about your lifestyle. There's too much consumption. Also, too many multinational companies. This reminds me of a story. One day, one Indian family in Bombay, they asked me for a blessing. I told them, I have nothing to offer you in the form of a blessing. You have blessings through your wealth to help people. 
You can provide for health and education. That is a source of your values. If you do that, you will feel a real blessing. Even with a limited salary, you can give $5 or $19. Rich families feel that they are in heaven, but it is a false heaven. Whenever you make some way to help poorer people, you get an opportunity for happiness from sharing with others. One time while driving in India, I saw a beggar, very poor, unfortunately. I stopped my car and I gave some money to the mother. Then I gave a chocolate to the girl and she gave me a big, big smile and she filled with joy. Feel that kind of joy. If you sincerely help the mother, sincerely help as a human being without expecting anything in return, then you also get joy as much as their joy. Think this way and share. Think of the natural disasters and the help that came from humanity. It is phenomenal. In Haiti and in Japan, and the sense of cooperation was wonderful. There was no looting, no robbery, very, very strong sense of community spirit. After 9-11, the people had more sense of community and helping each other. This is a natural part of our human nature. We should encourage that and explain that. Through what you give, you get a lot of benefit. And the last question was, are we born naturally compassionate individuals or is it learned and taught by parents and society? Compassion has two levels. Biological level is the seed of compassion. And then we can use our brain to further nurture compassion so we can reach the second level. The first level is biased and based on people's activities. The second level is based on training and the orientation of the person or the sentient being itself. One level is limited towards your family and friends and those who show a positive attitude towards you. The second level is not oriented by attitude. That is the kind of compassion that you can also extend to reach your enemy as they also have their right to their opinions and experiences. The second level of compassion is unbiased and knows no limit. That kind of compassion can be extended towards all seven billion beings, towards insects and birds and trees. That kind of compassion can only be developed through training and through experience. 
I really appreciated being present to hear the Dalai Lama speak about the two levels of compassion. I'd never thought about compassion in terms of the biological level and the level that we can achieve through focus, training, and practice. We all struggle from time to time with being compassionate, with extending compassion towards ourselves and naturally extending compassion to others. In our culture, there are some professions that inherently call forward a more compassionate attitude like all the caring professionals, healthcare, childcare, care for the disabled, care for the elderly, care for the dying. Yet expanding compassion to those one might perceive as one's enemy is a whole other dimension that makes so much sense on a deep personal level. I think the second level of compassion is similar to the idea of seeing your mirror reflection in another. From time to time we judge in another what we find disturbing in ourselves. Clearly, when I'm judging in myself, it's easy to project that outwardly and name and judge something in another that way and name and judge something in another that may not even be present. It feels like good medicine to engage in the practice of compassion all the time, to recognize that there's an opportunity to expand compassion to whatever situation or to whoever may be standing in front of you. Imagine living a purposeful life of compassion knowing that we are all part of each other. We are all here to help one another and be helped by each other with no exceptions. There is a peacefulness that comes over me at the thought of understanding both the seed level of compassion and the opportunity to grow at the second level of compassion and extend that to everyone all of the time. There was certainly a sense of lightness in the air at that gathering, and I felt the Dalai Lama was encouraging us, encouraging us to realize that it is through our point of view and the focus in our lifestyle on a daily basis that will bring about the transformations that he was speaking about. Instilling in us the understanding that change can happen one step at a time and not necessarily by focusing directly on an issue or difficulty. He suggests that by backing away from discord and changing your point of view on an individual level, a change will automatically occur on the outer level. And at the start of the new millennium, the Dalai Lama issued 18 rules for living and I'm going to share them with you now. Take into account that great love and great achievements involve great risk. When you lose, don't lose the lesson. 
follow the three R's. Respect for self. Respect for others. Responsibility for all your actions. Remember that not getting what you want is sometimes a wonderful stroke of luck. Learn the rules so you know how to break them properly. Don't let a little dispute injure a great friendship. When you realize you've made a mistake, take immediate steps to correct it. Spend some time alone every day. Open your arms to change, but don't let go of your values. Remember that silence is sometimes the best answer. Live a good, honorable life. Then when you get older and think back, you'll be able to enjoy it a second time. A loving atmosphere in your home is the foundation for your life. In disagreements with loved ones, deal only with the current situation. Don't bring up the past. Share your knowledge. It's a way to achieve immortality. Be gentle with the earth. Once a year, go someplace you've never been before. Remember that the best relationship is one in which your love for each other exceeds your need for each other. Judge your success by what you had to give up in order to get it. Again, here in the 18 Rules for Living, the Dalai Lama is sharing with us very practical, down-to-earth, common-sense approaches that clearly are of great benefit to creating and maintaining a happy, peaceful life, harmonious relationships, and a world based on love, peace, and compassion. The Dalai Lama was asked in an interview about meditating on compassion. You have said that if you meditate and you bring a desire for peace and nonviolence, that you will be happier. Does it work when you are facing an overwhelming power such as China? I think that meditation on compassion is not necessarily a direct effect. In this case, action is more important than meditation. However, on an individual level, the meditation on compassion is very, very helpful to keep one's own peace of mind. 
The Dalai Lama says that he wants scientists to explain how meditation works as a way to find out if the real-life experience of Tibetan Buddhism could benefit the rest of the world. Here is one example of that. One Tibetan monk, who from 1959 until the late 70s remained in a Chinese gulag, he remained in Chinese prison for about 18 years. In the early 80s, he came to India and he told me that on a few occasions he felt some danger. So I asked, what kind of danger? And he told me, danger of losing compassion towards the Chinese. So you see, he considered it very, very important to keep compassion even towards your enemy. So that helps immensely for his peace of mind. On occasion, when meeting with scientists, this subject or this story will come out in our conversations and they want to interview some of those ex-prisoners. They found that these Tibetans who spent many years in Chinese prison, always with the fear of death, in spite of that, their mental state is extraordinarily calm and healthy, they say. So the practice of compassion is very, very helpful to keep one's own mental function more normal. Here's another uh, excerpt on the importance of a compassionate attitude. The compassionate mind is very important. Fears, anger, jealousy, these are based on self-centered attitude. And when you develop more of a sense of caring for the well-being of others, then your heart automatically opens, which brings openness, straightforward, transparent, honesty which brings friendship. We are social animals and an individual's survival depends entirely on the rest of the community. Too much self-centered attitude develops distrust and suspicion and that brings fear. The more open-minded you are, no matter what the other person's attitude is, on your side, develop a sense of concern for their well-being, and then you can keep inner peace. Your sense of concern for the well-being of others brings inner strength and self-confidence. Any social animal, bees and ants also are social animals. They have no religion, no constitution, no law, but they work together. Nature created it that way. We are also social animals, but because of intelligence and sometimes intelligence with short-term interest, narrow-mindedness, narrow-mindedness and negative emotion, sometimes we are forgetting our basic nature. I have some other excerpts here from the Dalai Lama on specific topics. There's an example, motivation. The quality of everything we do, our physical actions, our verbal actions, and even our mental actions, depend on our motivation. 
That is why it's important for us to examine our motivation in our day-to-day life. If we cultivate respect for others and our motivation is sincere, if we develop a genuine concern for others' well-being, then our actions will be positive. Peace. Peace has a great deal to do with warm-heartedness and respect for the lives of others. Avoiding doing harm to others and regarding their lives as being precious as our own. On that basis, we can also be of much better help to others. Violence. Although violence and the use of force may appear powerful and decisive, their benefits are short-lived. Violence can never bring a lasting and long-term resolution to any problem because it's unpredictable. And for every problem it seems to solve, other problems are created. On the other hand, truth remains constant and will ultimately prevail. Generosity. If we can manage to reframe from harming others in our everyday actions and words, we can start to give more serious attention to actively doing good deeds. And this can be a source of great joy and inner confidence. We can benefit others through our actions by being warm and generous towards them by being charitable and by helping those in need. Giving material goods is one form of generosity, but one can extend an attitude of generosity into every aspect of one's behavior, being kind, being attentive, and honest in dealing with others, offering praise where it's due, giving comfort and advice when they are needed, and simply sharing one's time with someone. All these are forms of generosity, and they do not require any particular level of material wealth. Patience. The practice of patience guards us against losing our presence of mind. It enables us to remain undisturbed, even when the situation is really difficult. Patience gives us a certain amount of inner peace, which allows us some self-control. Then, rather than being driven by our disturbing emotions, we can choose to respond to situations in an appropriate and compassionate manner. Warm-heartedness. Warm-heartedness reinforces our self-confidence, giving us not a blind confidence, but a sense of confidence based on reason. When you have that, you can act transparently with nothing to hide. Likewise, if you are honest, the community will trust you. Trust brings friendship, as a result of which you can always feel happy. Whether you look to the right or look to the left, you will always be able to smile. 
anger. Anger cannot be overcome by anger. If someone is angry with you and you show anger in return, the result is a disaster. On the other hand, if you control your anger and show its opposite, love, compassion, tolerance, and patience, not only will you remain peaceful, but the other person's anger will also diminish. When we are angry, we are blind to reality. Anger may bring us a temporary burst of energy, but that energy is blind and it blocks the part of our brain that distinguishes right from wrong. To deal with our problems, we need to be practical and realistic. If we are to be realistic, we need to use our human intelligence properly, which means that we need to have a calm mind. Religion. My true religion, my simple faith, is in love and compassion. There's no need for complicated philosophy, doctrine, or dogma. Our own heart, our own mind is the temple. The doctrine is compassion, love for others, and respect for their rights and dignity, no matter who or what they are. These are ultimately all we need, love, kindness, compassion, and tolerance are qualities common to all the great religions, and whether or not we follow any particular religious tradition, the benefits of love and kindness are obvious to everyone. Happiness. People inflict pain on others in their selfish pursuit of happiness and satisfaction. Yet true happiness comes from a sense of brotherhood and sisterhood. We need to cultivate a sense of universal responsibility for one another and the planet we share. True happiness comes from having a sense of inner peace and contentment, which in turn must be achieved by cultivating altruism, love and compassion, and by eliminating anger, selfishness and greed. Everybody wants to be happy, but sometimes people in order to achieve a happy, successful life rely entirely on external means like money and power. I think this is a mistake. Ultimately, the source of happiness and joyfulness is within us. Once our mind is more calm and joyful, then our activities can be more effective. Money. The Dalai Lama, when asked what surprises you most about humanity, answered, Man, because he sacrifices his health in order to make money and then he sacrifices his money to recuperate his health, and then he's so anxious about the future that he doesn't enjoy the present, and the result is that he doesn't even live in the present or the future. He lives as if he's never going to die, and then he dies never having really lived. In another statement about a similar topic, the Dalai Lama said that in today's materialistic world, there's a risk of people becoming slaves to money. 
as though they were simply cogs in a huge money-making machine. This does nothing for human dignity, freedom, and genuine well-being. Wealth should serve humanity, and not the other way around. Spirituality. The very purpose of spirituality is self-discipline. Rather than criticizing others, we should evaluate and criticize ourselves. Ask yourself, what am I doing about my anger, my attachment, my pride, my jealousy? These are the things we should check in our day-to-day -day lives. For the rest of your life, to be as meaningful as possible, engage in spiritual practice, if you can. It's nothing more than acting out of concern for others. If you practice sincerely and with persistence, little by little, step by step, you'll gradually reorder your habits and attitudes so as to think less about your own narrow concerns and more about others, and thereby finding peace and happiness in yourself and in the world. And in closing again about compassion, it is clear that feelings of love, affection, closeness, and compassion bring happiness. I believe that every one of us has the means to be happy, to access the warm and compassionate states of mind that bring happiness. In fact, it is one of my fundamental beliefs that not only do we inherently possess the potential for compassion, but I believe that the basic of underlying nature of human beings is gentleness. The human capacity to care for others isn't something trivial or something to be taken for granted. Rather, it's something that we should cherish. Compassion is a marvel of human nature, a pressure, precious, precious inner resource, and the foundation of our well-being and the harmony of our societies. If we seek happiness for ourselves, we should practice compassion. And if we seek happiness for others, we should also practice compassion. I thank you for tuning in and listening to all these excerpts on the Dalai Lama, a great message through everything that he's speaking about of love and compassion for yourself, for your others, for your enemies, and developing your inner world. Thanks for tuning in. If you're looking for me on the web, you can check out the www.comebacktoyoursenses.com or email me, leah at comebacktoyoursenses.com. I'm your ever grateful host. So glad for the opportunity to share with you today. And until next week, I hope that you find a way to relax and enjoy your life. you've enjoyed our program today and perhaps have found some new techniques that you can apply to your daily life. Thank you for tuning in to Come Back to Your Senses Radio. Please join Leah Brenda Smith again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you next week.